0: Ephesians 4, 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. I want to uh, teach what I preached in January of 2013, some new stuff but really an overview of spiritual gifts. I want to speak about a gifted church. You may be seated. God made each one of us unique. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We all know about the uniqueness of a fingerprint. but We also know that the human retina is even a better fingerprint of sorts... Uh, because of the uniqueness of that retina. From your birth to your death, unless it's affected by disease or deformity, uh, your retinal scan would be the same, and the chances of a mistake are like one in a million. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. They say that there are four personality types, choleric, melancholy, phlegmatic, sanguine, maybe combinations of all those four would make 16, but there's an endless possibilities of who you are. You are uniquely you. And in the month of September, Brother Brad Fain, our family pastor, who's also a licensed temperament counselor, is going to take a day, an entire Sunday, starting at 9, one class, 15 people only, 11.30, one class, an hour and a half to take new people through uniquely you so they can discover their spiritual shape for ministry. Those of you who have been through 201 will remember that we just believe that somebody got it right when they talked about your shape for ministry, that God gave us spiritual gifts that tells us how we serve. He gave all of us a heart for ministry that tells us where we should serve. He gave us abilities, and many of those have been cultivated through education and experience throughout our lifetime. And those abilities also define where we would serve and how, excuse me, how we would serve in ministry. We have a personality. It may not be totally unique, but the package of who you are is very unique. Your personality and then your life experiences. When you put spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, experiences all together. That is your unique life story, your place in the body of Christ. When you study the life of Paul, he had all kinds of experiences that shaped his ministry into the man that he was. He was a very unique individual, born a Jew, Roman citizenship raised in Tarsus, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, possibly a ruling member of the Sanhedrin, a persecutor of the church, and yet he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. You would think he would be the apostle to the Jews. But he had this unique retina scan, this unique fingerprint of ministry, a shape... ...that made him something very special in the work of God. Now I believe that the Lord gifted every human being with certain natural gifts. You have natural giftedness. And uh, those natural giftedness, those natural gifts rather... ...should be developed for the glory of God. God did not gift you to glorify the devil... ...or to just be selfish with that natural gifting. He intended for us to develop it to our fullest potential. You know, one of my favorite illustrations that I use from time to time, and I'll kind of abbreviate it tonight, is the idea of playing the piano. My first song, Mr. Middle C, Learning Three Chords. And I know people, and those of you who have been around a while, and have been to uh, churches here and there, have been to churches where the pianist did really well to play three chords, C, F, G and people who would strum on a guitar, not a guitar, but a guitar, and were proud that they could not play skillfully, even though the Bible says you should play skillfully, and we should praise Him according to our excellent greatness. Well, you say, that's the best I can do. No, that's the best you have practiced. And because that's all you've done with what God gave you, that's all you can do the difference between the CFG 1, 4, and 5 chords and someone who can play all 8,400 variations of chords on those 88 keys or someone who has applied themselves to music to really be something special for God. I would like to think that God gave me the opportunity to take the natural giftings that He gave me, whatever they are, and develop them to my fullest potential. And every time I say yes to an area of giftedness, I have to say no to a lot of other things. Recently, in America, we celebrated a national holiday. It was called Lefty Day, National Lefty Day. Those of you who are not privileged to celebrate that day with some of us gifted people, let me see all the left-handed people in the house. Just hold up your hand. Wow, see, this is a gifted church. There's no question about that. You know, there's some things that I do right-handed, but I'm primarily left-handed. And I thought growing up that that meant that you were slow, there was something wrong with you. Somebody sent me a real cute video on Lefty's Day about all the hardships that we've had in life with school desks and spiral ring notebooks and all kinds of other persecution that we have been through in our life as left-handed people. Well, I could spend... I could spend a long time learning to write with my right hand. And until I break my left hand, I'm not going to do it because it takes a lot of time and it's not going to be that good when I'm finished. So why should I not go with my natural giftedness and make the best of what God has given to me? So whatever abilities you have, don't fret about what you don't have. Focus on who you are what God gave you, and excel in it. Be the best that you could be in your natural giftedness. Amen. I see too many people that plink along in a rinky-dink way like a piano player that hasn't done their homework, that hasn't really studied and practiced, and, you know, there's a 10,000-hour rule that they say that leads to concert pianists and ...professional athletes that if you really want to excel... ...there's a 10,000 hour rule that they say makes you. So you can tell me about giftedness and I'll tell you about the 10,000 hour rule. That's what makes people great. So we've got all that that God gave us. We don't want to sit it on a shelf. We want to cultivate it. Too many people bury their talents, do not develop their potential. As a pastor, I like to encourage people to develop their natural giftedness, because God gave that to you to be used for His glory. A couple years ago, uh, we were visiting Justin and Teresa, our youngest son and wife, before the famous Rhett was born. His birthday, first birthday is Saturday, by the way. And in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, which is the home of Walmart, Tyson Foods, uh, J.B. Hunt Trucking, there's a lot of money socked away in northwest Arkansas... Well, Alice Walton, the daughter of famous Sam Walton, founder of Walmart, uh, founded Crystal Bridges. It's a fabulous, world-class museum of American art. And it's free. We went to Crystal Bridges, and there was a Norman Rockwell uh, display there that was just intriguing and fabulous. I read a little bit about Norman Rockwell. Some people made fun of him because of the way he... ...painted because it was American and they didn't like that... ...and it was clear and true to life... ...but they thought it was too happy that he, wrote, he, he painted too happily... ...which kind of is humorous to me. One of the greatest painters of his generation... ...but he wasn't just gifted. Now some of you are gifted to draw. I'm barely gifted to write my name. Some of you are not that gifted because I've read your signature before... But anyway, back to the sermon. Some people just draw. But Norman Rockwell was not just a guy that had a gift. When he was a young man, he went to work for the Boy Scouts. And then later he started painting for the Saturday Evening Post. And over a period of years, depending on what you read, he did at least 328 covers for the Saturday Evening Post. Over a period of 47 years from 1917 through 1963. He produced an average of seven covers a year, but some years he produced 10 or 11 covers. He made the most of the gifting that was natural in him. His relationship with the Boy Scouts of America lasted 64 years, and he painted many famous paintings for the Boy Scouts. In his lifetime, Rockwell created over four thousand original works and long after his death in 2013 one of his paintings called Saying Grace sold for 46 million dollars I'm sure he uh, would have liked that to happen while he was alive That he doesn't know does he Norman Rockwell you say well you know pastor you don't know me but I know Norman Rockwell Well, maybe you're not that gifted. Five talents, two talents, one talent. But this month in Atlanta West is about encouraging you, hopefully inspiring you, maybe even challenging you to go pursue those gifts. Go after what God gave you and make the most you can of what God put in your heart. You know, a lot of times not a lot of times, I believe all the time, uh, great people have a combination of gifting and grit, of discipline and determination to overcome a whole lot of things to become great for the glory of God. So it is my passion, I think you know this, it is my passion to help people discover their spiritual gifts, not just their natural gifts, and to develop them to their fullest potential. It is not because I think that I have arrived, attained, as Paul would say, about himself. I've not apprehended that for which also I have been apprehended of Christ Jesus. But I am motivated to encourage people to not settle for the low shelf of life. To choose what you want from the shelf of life. And then pay the price to be the best you can to the glory of God who gave his life for you. Why not, right? Why not be the person that goes for the gold in the kingdom of God? Amen. That's not just my passion. It's my calling as an apostolic minister. My God-given calling or role is to encourage and to develop the giftings of other people. Not just what you got from birth, but what you received when you were born again. I preached about this Sunday, but when you received the Holy Ghost, you spoke in other tongues. That was a supernatural act of God. You cannot do that on your own. So you already know that God can use you in a supernatural way. Every time you speak in tongues, you are doing something that you cannot do. It is God enabling you to do that. You need to take that same faith and believe that if God will fill you with the Spirit, that He will give you the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of ministry, that He will use you in a phenomenal way beyond your ability, because it is not what you can do, it is what God can do through you by spiritual (laughs) gifting. Amen. Now the Holy Ghost is like the power of God that is run to your life, just like the power that is run to this building that allows us to do all the things that we do that involve electricity. If it's your house, it might be a service drop, or it might be an underground distribution center called a service lateral. But there is a line, hopefully, that is run to your house. All the electricians in the house know this, and especially those that work uh, for power companies. And I know of at least two or three in our church that do that. But that line, run to your house... Enables you to do all the other things. I was kind of looking around our house at the toaster and the microwave. the refrigerator, the coffee maker, thank God for the coffee maker. Someone said, "I drink coffee for you. you no, know, are you one of those people <laughs> you drink coffee for the other people in your life for their benefit. The coffee maker and the blender, the food processor and the clothes washer and the clothes dryer, the hair dryer that I use so frequently the iron and the electronics, all the other stuff in your home that are powered, they've got to get their power somewhere, right? So when we talk about spiritual gifts, we understand that all of the appliances, all of the accessories, if I could say it that way, of the Holy Ghost are powered by the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God. And when He gave you His Spirit, He also gave you spiritual gifts. So the people that do not understand what I just said try to relegate speaking in other tongues to one of the nine spiritual gifts. They will take Paul's words and say, do all speak with tongues without understanding the context. Paul is talking about people that are used to give a message in tongues in a public meeting where God is speaking to the church. And obviously all do not speak with tongues. But the same man Paul said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So if Paul spoke in tongues more than them, that means they spoke in tongues less than Paul, but not, not at all. They did speak in tongues. So and then Paul said, but in the church, I want to get up and talk in a language you can understand so you can be edified in the body of Christ. So please understand that if you have the Holy Ghost, if the power has been run to your dwelling, that inside of you is supernatural power and the gifting of God in your life. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But all of these, speaking of gifts, worketh that one and selfsame spirit dividing to every man. King James, written in the masculine gender. It is dividing to every spirit-filled person... ...severally or individually as He will. God did not gift me. He did not gift you the way you wish He would. He gifted us, all of us, according to His will. But the Bible said that He took these gifts... ...and He divided them in the church severally or individually as he will, as it please God as it says in another place. Now sometimes God supercharges a natural gift. Maybe you were born with the uh, with musical ability and God anoints musical ability. I have heard stories I do not know names and places of people that were moved on by the Holy Ghost these are early Pentecostic uh, stories and went to a piano having never played before and sat down and played the piano. Anybody else hear of a story like that? You Look at the hands around. We've heard those stories of people and it was a miracle of God. It wasn't a natural gift. It wasn't something they had ever done before. But God is sovereign. He can do anything He wants to do. You say, God can't do that. Well, He can make a donkey talk. That donkey never did that before. I don't think he was able to do that again. I I hope not. If he could, he had a lot of fun with that, I'm sure. But God is sovereign, so why would we question the power of God to be at work in our lives? But sometimes God comes along and He gives you a spiritual gift that isn't just overlaying a natural gift. Now, what I just said, I can give you this much uh, years of thinking and conversation and dialogue about are all spiritual gifts, natural gifts on steroids, natural gifts, supercharged. And I say no. Maybe so, but it doesn't have to be. Why does God have to do that? Moses doesn't have natural leadership ability. He doesn't have the ability to speak. And I referred to this the other day. But the Lord asked Moses, who made man's mouth? I don't need your mouth, Moses. I need you to say yes. And if you'll say yes, I can give you the power to speak. Moses doubts, and God gives him Aaron. I mentioned Joshua the other day. Um, Excuse me, Gideon rather. Gideon did not have natural leadership ability in everything in his life. Says no, but here he is. I spoke to you about Paul a few minutes ago. It's here in my notes. But to think that Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles... When he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was among the strictest religious faction or sect of the Jews. And yet God uses him to go reach pagan people. To me, that is outside of his comfort zone. But God said he is a chosen vessel unto me to appear before kings. God's going to use him in a special way. So please do not limit God. That's what I'm saying right now. Don't say it couldn't happen to me. Don't say God couldn't use me like that. Amen. Don't say it can't happen now. It's too late in my life. Whatever God chooses to do, He is sovereign. Amen. Amos said, I I I wasn't a prophet or a prophet's son. I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I'm just a regular guy. But when God comes and speaks into your life, He can birth something that has never been there. Amen. So God is sovereign. He can at any time, any place, give you gifts for His glory and for your good. So I want to, I want to speak about three categories of gifts, spiritual gifts that God has put in his church. The gifts of the spirit, the gifts of service, and gifts of government. And I want to say that there are some theologians that believe that the listings that are in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and possibly some in Ephesians 4, that those giftings may not be an exclusive list. Like there that doesn't mean that God can't do something else. But I believe the nine spiritual gifts are probably more of a finite group Gifts of service could be open to however God would choose to use us. So let's look first at the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to do my best to not take too long on any one of these uh, because of the sake of time. And I want to be a little more high level tonight. In other words, I want to give an overview. 1 Corinthians 12.8 For to one is given by the Spirit... The word of wisdom. I want you to notice the little things Paul says about how this happens. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Remember he divides severally as he will. Same Spirit but different manifestations, operations. To another faith, the gift of faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing it's later called gift of healings but it's interesting the wording that gifts is plural by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to and notice there's a differentiation between healing and miracles to another prophecy to another Discerning of spirits, to another divers different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these, all of these gifts, worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. These nine spiritual gifts, for the ease of understanding and somewhat of a categorization, uh, can be divided three ways. The gifts of revelation, what you would say is the, the mind of God. A word of wisdom where God imparts to you a word. Notice the word of wisdom. That's something you cannot know that God shows you ...that could solve a problem or shed light, give insight... ...you cannot know it another way. It is not the same as acquired wisdom. It is not what Solomon wrote about in Proverbs... ...when he said, search for it diligently like silver. This is something that God gifts you with. Now the Bible tells us to seek the gifts... ...and I'll talk about that if I get there at the end. But word of wisdom, a word of knowledge... This is a piece of information that you cannot know any other way. It comes from God. I could give examples, but again, this is an overview. A discerning of spirits. Is it from God or the devil or the nature of that spirit? And I have examples of how the Lord has used me in some of these giftings that I knew something that I couldn't know and the Lord can reveal things to you. But it doesn't mean if you have the gift of discerning of spirits... ...that you know everybody's spirit... ...any more than you have all wisdom... ...or you have all knowledge. These gifts operate for a situation. It is a word. It's a voice. It's an impression. It's something that God does. And I don't want to limit this too much... ...but by occasion, by a need. All right? And I will give you a quick example. Uh, a person who moved to Jackson, Mississippi... ...was no longer a youth pastor... ...was assistant pastor... ...visited the church... Excuse me, they moved there and I went to speak to this person and immediately the Holy Ghost impressed me that they had a very bad spirit. Uh, And and we'll go into all the details, but there was some carnage because people that wouldn't listen that we tried to warn about the spirit that this person had. So the Lord can reveal something to you that He's trying to protect His church. Exhortation, edification, and comfort is what the Bible says. So everybody please say, the mind of God. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. The second three, we could say that they are the power of God or demonstrating the might of God. The gift of faith, which is the ability that God gives to believe God for something that you don't have the faith to believe on your own. We have to understand that this is not general faith, it's not acquired faith, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is faith that God gifts you with for a special situation that you didn't believe could happen, but God gives you the gift of faith. There's the gift of healings, and there is the working of miracles. Healing, and I try not to get too specific on this because God is God, but healing is something that maybe would happen over time that God accelerates, but a miracle is something that would never happen ...ever, medically or any other way, and it doesn't have to be limited to a physical healing. It could be a financial miracle, it could be anything that God chooses... ...and a miracle is when God suspends the laws of nature. He does something that will never happen naturally. That's what a miracle is, right? Amen. So the working of miracles, praise God. When those of us have seen miracles happen like a limb lengthening or something that would never happen, we know that that was an act of God. And God works by these gifts. Amen? They're the gifts of utterance, speaking the mouth of God. The tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, we know that tongues is the initial sign of the Holy Ghost coming into a life of a person that Paul told us, or excuse me, Jude rather, told us, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, that we should pray. Paul wrote about this in Romans 8.26, that you know, uh, he makes intercession, right? So we know that we pray in the Holy Ghost, but that is not the same thing as Paul is talking about with the gift of tongues. It is specifically uh, when God uses a person to give a message to the church in a language that they do not understand. It doesn't mean that no one understands that language, only the speaker, and that someone else gives the interpretation of tongues, not because they knew that language, but by the Holy Ghost. It is not a translation, it is an interpretation. And all of these gifts operate through people like you and me, and none of us are perfect, but God uses us anyway. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecy to speak the mind of God. Uh, In the Bible, Agabus was a prophet. He spoke and he foretold the future. Prophecy can reveal the mind of God. It can be futuristic or it can be current. But it is speaking for God in the most general sense. We would say that prophecy is to speak for God. These nine spiritual gifts are the power gifts of the church. Many of you have heard this illustration before but we can hack around we can kind of take the handsaw of human effort and we can try to build the kingdom of god but he gave us spiritual gifts that are like a power saw that often cuts through situations that you cannot get through any other way amen God will use you. These gifts are not for preachers. These gifts are in the body of Christ and they should be used for God's glory and for the building up of the church. The gifts of the Spirit given by the will of God. And according to 1 Corinthians 14.3 that speaks specifically about prophecy, probably generally, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men, edification, ...exhortation and comfort. Many people take that verse and apply it to how the gifts are used. But once again, God can do anything He chooses. He will never do anything that contradicts His Word... ...because this is God's mind. Amen. Now when anyone is using the gifts of the Spirit... ...we don't listen critically in a, in a wrong way... ...but the Bible teaches us... We judge everything by the Word of God. Somebody may be used in the gifts of the Spirit that you don't think is as spiritual as they should be. Well, I wish I could tell you that every time somebody is used, they're right there next to God. But those gifts are in the body of Christ. And sometimes flawed people are used in the gifts of the Spirit... But we go with what God said and did, and if it measures up to the Word of God. We, we take that as God speaking to the church. Amen. Obviously, the gifts that are vocal and used publicly, like tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, we think that that's the three gifts that God uses. But that's just the third of the nine that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, plus whatever God would choose to do. So don't limit yourself to think that if God's never used you for a message in tongues, a message interpretation, or a prophecy, that you don't have a spiritual gift. I believe powerful gifts operate in daily life, in church services, in ministry. We cannot do spiritual work in the energy of the flesh. We must operate in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Praise God. All right. Now, I mentioned these operate by occasion, as needed, deployed, and then it may not be discernible. You may not know that that person has that gift by the way they, you know, they just walk around and you don't know that they have the gift of working in miracles, but they do. Uh, that's not how they function on a normal basis. The other gifts that are the second category I want to call serving gifts. So these gifts are not just used you know, by occasion, and I don't mean once every 20 years, by the way. I just mean, you remember in the Old Testament, when Samson was used of God, I think Samson, I don't know that he was like a real muscular guy or not. He may think he was, but I think he could have actually looked wimpy. I hope not. Most men back then probably didn't look wimpy because they made a living, they, they worked, and they were physically strong. But I don't believe Samson had to have bulging biceps. There's not, you know, but Samson, when the Spirit of God moved on him, all of a sudden, Samson had supernatural strength in the same way. In the same way. Here we are, mere mortals, but when the Holy Ghost moves on us, we do by the Holy Ghost what we cannot do in ourselves. For Samson, it might have been pulling the gates off of a city or pulling the pillars of a temple in on himself and destroying more in his death than he did in his life. But that's how those gifts operate, all right? Serving gifts, though, are more our ministry. It's who we are and how God uses us uh, kind of in in the flow of ministry life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You may recognize some of these verses from... ...preaching and teaching recently. If you don't, then I have failed. (laughs) I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... ...that you present your bodies a living sacrifice... ...holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Okay, that was verse 1 was two weeks ago. Verse 2 is this past Sunday. And be not conformed to this world... ...but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And verse 2, about the will of God, was last Wednesday night. Verse 3, and I refer to this a little bit on Sunday. For I say to the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Remember, in the church... It is faith that determines your worth. It is not your net worth, it is your faith work. Right? Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing. Please say the word differing just to humor me according to the grace that is given to us. And now he's going to be specific and name them. So I kind of went up to this point on Sunday and stopped to not get into these gifts too much. So these would be called serving gifts. You look for me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You're going to find me probably deploying these gifts in the way I work for God. And the way you work for God and serve God, and many of you here tonight are involved in ministries in our church, this is how we live. This is how we work. So Paul names them. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, and I will break these down just a little bit. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, Way on teaching, study, do your job. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. And I think this word way applies to all of these leading up to the, the gift of giving. He that giveth let him do it with simplicity. He gives us some instructions about how this gift should be used. It's very practical. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So here's the list and just a couple of comments, hopefully for your sake, about each gift. Prophecy I've defined in the nine spiritual gifts. Some people say that this may be a duplication from 1 Corinthians 12, or feel it refers more generally to someone who has some type of a ministry in the prophetic. I do not think it is the same as the office of the prophet, and I will get to that in the next set of gifts. Uh, but you are to do this by faith, the measure of faith. The word ministry, the next gift listed, is the same word as a deacon. That is used in Acts chapter 6. Theachono, it just means someone who serves. So you serve in the body of Christ. Someone that's involved in some type of ministry, perhaps in organizing, providing material needs for the church. The next gift is teaching. I believe that the gift of teaching comes with the gift of insight, just like the gift of giving comes with the gift of getting. You can't give a lot of money if you don't get a lot of money. I'll explain that in a minute. You can't teach if you have no insight. I believe that the gift of teaching comes with the ability that God gives you to see in Scripture what a person may glaze over. There's a special gift of teaching. Comes with insight to help people uh, apply the word of God to their lives and understand it. The next gift is exhorting. In the Greek, it is parakaleo. It means to comfort, to encourage. This is a wonderful gift in the church. Barnabas, his name meant son of, or they called him the, the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. Whether he had this spiritual gift or not, he was someone that was always picking up other people. There's a gift of giving. A lot of you want to pray for this gift, because as I mentioned, I believe if you have the gift of giving, then it doesn't just mean that you give, all of us give, just like all of us speak in tongues, but there are people who have the gift of business, of making money. And I don't just mean a little bit of money. They have the ability to make a lot of money. And if they have that gifting to get, then it comes with the gift of giving, the gift of giving rather, I believe is what triggers the ability that God also adds to that. And Paul said when you have this gift that you should do it with simplicity or sincerity. That you shouldn't be. Remember like Jesus said, the Pharisees stand on the corner and blow the trumpet. Watch me put this in the offering. That's why at this church for 21 years I've never asked one person to raise their hand and say, I'll give X amount of money in the offering. Although you may think who's rich, you know who's rich, and you, know, you may think you know who's poor. In this church, we just all pray. That's what we're going to do Sunday. And we're all going to do the very best we can with the blessings God has given us. And we're going to give a sacrificial offering, and it's going to be enough. But obviously, in an offering like that, or on tithing or whatever, no, we're not expected to give the same amount. That's why God is so wise that tithing is 10%. 10% for the rich, 10% for the poor. And people that cannot budget to give on 10% when they're poor will probably never get rich because God can't trust them with money. I'll just throw that in for fun. Not really a part of this message, but... All right. Oh, Giving should be done with simplicity. And I just made a decision when I became pastor that we would let that be between you and God. Fill out a card, put that down. We'd like to know how to count on that. But publicly, we're just going to make it low-key in this church. And I will say, and I tell other people, God has blessed our church and our people so much. And I thank God for that. And I appreciate it because sometimes you get nervous when you receive an offering and you really don't know what's going on out there. God is good, and you are wonderful, and God always supplies the need according to His riches in glory. All right, the next gift is ruling, the gift of administration. And Paul says that this gift should be performed or operated with diligence. Isn't that good? If you're going to run something, run it well. You know, all you have to do to lose it is to loosen your hand. If you've got sand, beach sand in your hand, you don't have to open your hand. You just loosen your grip. And the Bible said that we should be diligent to know the state of our flocks. We should look well to our herds. We should lead, if you have the gift of administration, then you should do it with diligence. And then the gift of mercy is to be exercised or shown with cheerfulness. Now what I love about this insight from Paul, anointed by the Holy Ghost, is that people that have the gift of mercy love the underdog. They are drawn to the person who is hurting more than the average. They have a gift. It's who they are. They they look for, they seek that person out, and they're pulled toward that. But when you're pulled toward hurting people, and that's the people that you're drawn to, then it's easy to get depressed by depressed people. And so Paul says, if you're going to show the gift of mercy, show it with cheerfulness. You're not going to pull that person ...out of the valley by just getting down there and groveling with them in the valley. This is a spiritual gift. Please say that's a spiritual gift. Now mercy is a trait. It's something that we should all have. right? But there are people, this is the body of Christ... ...that are especially gifted with the gift of mercy... ...and I thank God for them. I thank God for those people. The next gift... And I bring this from 1 Corinthians uh, 12-28. I'm sorry, I did not give media this verse. But Paul uses the word helps. Kind of a general way, and and there are people that have told me, in this church, there's 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 a wonderful volunteer in this church who said, God has given me the gift of helps. What that means is, you tell me what you need and I will help you. That's just my burden. My burden is to help the leaders of this church... And to serve any place I can. It may not be real refined or technical, but I just want to help. And we say at Atlanta West that you don't just serve where you're gifted. Sometimes you serve where you're needed. If you looked at the ministry finder, I have a feeling that we're not going to get a hundred people that apply to do that job where you clean the sanctuary between services. But I just want to give you a clue. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be able to play an instrument. You don't have to be able to sing. If you can push a vacuum, straighten Kleenex boxes, pick up trash, and you're available between the 9 o'clock and the 11.30 service on Sunday, sign you up. You're our man. You're our lady. Right? That's the gift of help. The gift of help says the trash is overflowing in the bathroom... And it doesn't matter to me if we pay somebody to do that, just kind of push that trash down. You know, I learned as a bag boy for a grocery store to pick it up, don't pass it up. Everybody should take ownership. And by the way, you know what I despise about communism? Is that when something is everyone's, it is no one's. It reminds me of the men's dorm at Gateway when I was president there for three years. That because it was everybody's dorm, it was no one's dorm. So it turns into a ghetto because nobody cares. I'm not criticizing people that are poor that have to live in a ghetto. But the problem with the ghetto mentality is you don't care because it's not yours. But I feel a sense of responsibility to this church. This is my church. This is not just where I pastor. This is where I attend church. Where my family goes to church. So if something's not right, it bothers me. I have a sense of ownership. I've been investing my time, my talent, and my treasure giving into this church for 21 years. So yeah, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And people don't give, people that do not give time, talent, treasure don't care what happens to the church because they have nothing invested. But people who give of their time, give of their talent, give of their money, they care about what happens here. They love this church. Amen? And there's a lot of people that feel that way. I'm not just trying to hype you up to make you think that. Got my 2016 Gideon's report. You know Gideon's Army report? And I know how our church is doing, and I thank God for that. Everybody say, helps. Say, Pastor is meddling. No, don't say that. (laughs) There's a third category of gifting. We have spiritual gifts, we have serving gifts, and you could call these different things. But I believe God also put in the church governmental or apostolic ministry gifts. And He placed them in the church, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave some. Now this is from our text where he ascended on high, gave gifts to men. And he gave some. And I think this is very important. This is the part that I preach to preachers. That God did not give the church to preachers. God gave preachers to the church. The church is not a gift to the ministry. The ministry is a gift to the church. The ministry was given to serve and lead ...and perfect or mature the church. So my role is a serving role. And even though God gives authority... ...it is balanced with responsibility. Okay? He gave some apostles and some prophets... ...and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Here is a list. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Each of these ministries... ...have different roles. The role of an apostle is a founder. He goes where there is nothing. Paul was an apostle. He said, I don't want to build on another man's work. I'm going to go where there is nothing. A prophet speaks for God. In the New Testament church... ...I believe they had the authority to set in order... ...to give direction, a role of a prophet. And it's not just a person who prophesies. And, you know, unfortunately... We're real awkward in the apostolic church to say so-and-so is a prophet. Many people who would proclaim themselves a prophet may have a gift of prophecy, but they're not in the office of a prophet. So we're kind of careful about that because it's probably been abused. An evangelist has a calling to lost people, but he doesn't have to be a guy that travels around. I believe D.J. Hill is an evangelist, but he's on staff at our church now, thank God for that. He sent me a text message this afternoon, or before church. He said, Brother Johns, I had to leave a class. He's at Urshan Graduate School of Theology, taking a class, a graduate course. He said, I had to go and pray. I am so excited about a place for you. I feel it, you know. So I thank God he sent us an evangelist, a resident evangelist. I believe that's really the most biblical way, my personal opinion. He gave some pastors, that's what I am, a shepherd to lead and feed the church, but also do what verse 12 will tell us. And teachers, some people put pastors and teachers together, but in Antioch there were prophets and teachers listed like that. So there are people who have that gift of insight, but it is an apostolic ministry to teach, and this is what they do according to verse 12, Ephesians 4.12. What do these preachers, ministers do? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It is for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I read this first Sunday in the NLT. I want to read it again, the Living Translation, which is a thought-for-thought translation. Their responsibility, me, apostles, prophets, faithful ministry, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. you read this in the King James, some people would think that a preacher's job is to perfect the saints, do all the work of the ministry, and edify the body of Christ. But this is a progressive thought, that God gives authority to mature the church, to equip the church, so that everybody, the entire church together, does the work of the ministry so the body of Christ is built up. And the reason there are many impotent churches, churches that lack power, churches that are not mature, is that there are too many churches where their concept is, let's hire a preacher, let's wear him out, and then we'll get another one after we kill him. Because their idea of Ephesians 4.12 is that that's what he does. And believe me, a good preacher ought to work very hard... ...and my record stands for itself for 21 years. So, not bragging or complaining... ...I believe preachers ought to be hard workers... ...they ought to be the hardest workers of anybody. That's how I believe. So, but the goal... ...what kind of a church would it be... ...if it was a pastor or a preaching staff... ...or a handful of people... ...it would be a horrible church... And not only would it be a bad church, it wouldn't be God's church, because God's church is where every member is gifted, empowered, Holy Ghost filled, involved. They have found their place in the body of Christ. The gifting of the church. Amen. The perfecting of the saints that they may do the work of the ministry that the body of Christ may be built up. And the imagery that Paul has in Ephesians chapter 4, you know, is of a king that goes to battle. He's victorious. He conquers his foe. He captures the spoils of war. He brings it all back to his kingdom. There's a tremendous parade. And behind him is the vanquished foe, that enemy king. And as the parade snakes its way through the city... They are sharing the spoils of war. The Bible said he led captivity captive. He ascended. He gave gifts to men. That is a picture of what Jesus Christ did through his death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension back into heaven. And when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, He did not just pour out His Spirit of the Holy Ghost, but with it came the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of service, the apostolic ministry. It is what Jesus Christ did to gift His incredible, powerful church. A few scriptures. Worship team, please come give us hope. 1 Corinthians 12.31, here's what we need to do. But covet earnestly the best gifts. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14.1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. I know the rest of the verses, but I'm, I want you to see these phrases about gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.12, Paul said of the Corinthians, Even so you for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 14, 4 and 14, rather, 414, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given you by prophecy, by the laying on of hands. And then 1 Timothy 1 and 6, Paul told Timothy, wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God that is in you by the putting on of my hands. Paul told Timothy. There was an occasion when I laid my hands on you. And when I did, God imparted a spiritual gift. Timothy, that gift has been laying latent in you. Not as sharp as you should be. So I'm calling you, Timothy, young preacher. And I believe God is calling His church. That we would desire spiritual gifts. Covet spiritual gifts. Seek spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us the better way is the way of love. That's the desire out of love for people that God would use you how He chooses. That God would have us stir up the gift that is in us. Amen. I thank God for the power of His Spirit. For what He's doing in His church. Amen. An interesting thing happened several years ago lived in St. Louis and worked in the General Youth Division. And Brother Jerry Jones was my boss. He was the General Youth President. And one day, he said, call the house. He said, we're going to come by. I want to show you something. And he drove up, you know, it snowed up there some. And his wife almost had a wreck in their car. So he went and he bought a four-wheel drive Toyota 4Runner. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. He pulled up into my driveway It was a black Toyota 4x4. It was my dream vehicle. And I I walked out and I looked at that vehicle, and the first phrase that came to my mind was, what a waste. I did. I said, what a waste. Because I was thinking, you know, God made that, excuse me, the Toyota made that vehicle, yeah. To, to climb hills and to go through mud and to snake its way through the woods. And I know where that vehicle's going to be. It's going to be on pavement its whole life. It may get a little snow. You know, when we get a little snow in St. Louis, but for the most part, it's not nearly going to reach its potential. And when I look at congregations preaching here and there and on Sunday, when I look at Atlanta West... I think, oh my goodness, there is so much power under the hood of the church. There is so much that God has built into us. But we, I think we bore God because we never go off road. We never take what a human being would call a risk. We never get out there where the mud is deep and the trail is steep. We just kind of stay in these safe little paved roads of Christianity and never say, God, use me in the supernatural. So I believe that God is calling His church to kind of go off road. Would you stand, and if it's not too late for your early morning, and I say that respectfully, I want to invite you to come to the altar. And I want you to just make yourself available to God. If there are some gifts that you're praying about, just think about this. What what gifting have you prayed for recently? What have you asked God to do in your life? And maybe you feel guilty, but the Bible tells us that we should covet earnestly the best gifts, that we should seek spiritual gifts. So while we're praying and fasting in this season in the life of our church, I want to call you to pray that God would use you supernaturally, amen?